excuse me, let's turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Looking at another message of the Lord is. The Lord is. We're looking today at the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. Father, I, I thank you that you are so many wonderful and gracious things. And Lord, please minister to our hearts today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 5 and verse 10. James chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is what? Very pitiful and of tender mercy. What does it mean that the Lord is very pitiful? You know, sometimes we use that word in a sense like, uh, you know, a person's worthless. You know, wow, that that person is just pitiful. Or somebody tries to do something and you you may say, well, that was a pitiful job. Or uh, maybe you ordered a hamburger somewhere and you opened the bun and could hardly see the hamburger. And you said, that was a pitiful hamburger. I don't know what it might be. Uh, but sometimes we use it in that sense. Uh, Noah Webster's 1820 Dictionary defines it as to be pitied for its littleness, paltry, contemptible, despicable, very small, insignificant. So when it says that the Lord is very pitiful, it's not talking about the Lord uh, is little or is paltry or is contemptible or is despicable or is very small or insignificant. That is not the sense the word is being used in here. The sense it's being used in is, according to Strong's, pitiful, extremely compassionate, very pitiful. Verse 11, once again, behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He's very compassionate toward us. If you hold your place here, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. The Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he what? Careth for you. Who else in the world would ever say to us, bring the smallest concern you have to me, day or night. I want to hear it. Who in the world would ever say that to us? And if they said it to us, who in the world would not change if we actually did that? Day or night. If you're having a sleepless night and you have some concern on your heart, Who are you going to call? I mean, people-wise. 
Who are you going to call? It's the middle of the night. I can remember uh, my grandfather, toward the end of his life, he faced some sleepless nights. And one night he called me up in the middle of the night, and and uh, he just had some concerns on his heart. And I was glad he called. Uh, but if all of us did that every night and several times during the night, would any other human ever say, keep calling? <laughs> I mean, or who would they, or would they say, listen, I got to go to work tomorrow. Uh, I need some rest. Call me in the morning or call me tomorrow evening. Who in the world would say this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you? Other people would quickly tire of our smallest concerns and cares. But God is so much different. Uh, we sang, oh, he's a wonderful Savior. We read the scripture. He's the God that doeth wonders. Um, this is one of his wonders. Notice in Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. There is no one in this world that comes close to matching the pity of God for us, the great compassion of God for us. In Hebrews 4, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into where? The heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. So Jesus has passed into the heavens. Uh, I was texting Brother Steve just before Sunday school uh, in regard to the, the check for the Needham's airplane. And, and, um, and usually on if, between two iPhones, if, if you send a message, it'll say if it's delivered. And... Indeed, Brother Steve is in paradise because it didn't come back and say it was delivered, my text. So it's, he's, he's higher than my phone can go right now, okay? Uh, but the Lord has passed into the heavens. In verse 15, for we have not an high priest, which cannot be what? Touch. Touch with what? The feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He's touched. You know, have you ever gone into the hospital with an injury that you thought was very serious or to the doctor? I remember when I was a boy, we went to our personal physician and I was cut. I was cut bad. You know, I expected them to rush me right in and sew me up. And we sat in the waiting room a good while. Uh, our daughter, when we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, she tripped over my grandfather's feet, hit an end table, and so we take her to the hospital. She's got this big gash, and you know, and you think, boy, this needs to get sewed up right away. And so I don't know, to wait a half hour or more in the waiting room, and it's, it's like, don't you people realize that this is? I'm bleeding. You know, this is life or death. They don't seem to understand that. They don't seem to be too pitiful. Because they see it all the time, and they know that we're not going to die, as far as they know, anyway, too quickly. Um, they're used to seeing blood 
They're used to seeing cuts. Um, they're not. They're not too um, anxious over it at all. But the Lord is touched with our fe- the feeling of our infirmities, and was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And here's the miraculous part. Another miraculous part is verse 16. He tells us, let us therefore come what? Boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy and find what? Grace to help in what? In time of need. Have you ever thought about the miraculous nature of this? Listen. Did Jesus ever succumb to one temptation? No. Did Jesus ever fail while he was upon earth in any aspect? No. Most people that are very successful um, a lot of times do not have much pity upon those who are not. Those people who are very strong, many times do not have much pity upon the weak. Those people who have endured many hard trials and afflictions often do not have much pity upon those who have had a relative life of ease compared to them. It's like when when somebody's injured, they say, get over it, man. You know, it's like, do you know how many stitches I've had? I mean, it's like, Zero pity. You know, you'll live. You know, you'll make it. No pity upon their fear or their concerns. Um, Jesus' response is so opposite. Uh, He's God. He's never fallen to a temptation. A person like that, and obviously there's no other person like that who has never fallen, but If there was a person who had not, you know, they would be tempted to say, you weakling, what is wrong with you? You know, uh, you are a spiritual pygmy. You, you know, you fell to this temptation. What's wrong with you? They would have no pity, no compassion whatsoever. It's, It's kind of unheard of in the human realm. But for Jesus to be perfect... For Jesus, uh, in verse 15, it says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. For him to have pity upon us, who are so weak, we, we that are so weak, we fall to these foolish uh, temptations. I mean, you would think he would just rebuke us, but... He's, he's touched, verse 15, with the feeling of our infirmities. We are so weak, and he is so strong and so perfect, and we are so imperfect. And yet he has pity upon us. Show me another person who is strong and mighty and intelligent and been through a rough life that actually shows pity upon someone just starting out in this journey in life, facing hard times. You'll be hard-pressed to find such a pitiful person. Um, Let's look at James 5 again. James chapter 5 and and verse 10. Once again, James 5, 10. 
Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of what? Suffering, affliction, and of what? Patience. We just, we don't often put ourselves in their shoes when we read. We keep reading through the Bible, but we don't often stop and think. Because when we have affliction, when we are suffering uh, time constraints, how often do we put ourselves in, those, in the shoes of those people and think they, they suffered, they had to have patience. Verse 11, behold, we count them happy, which what? Endure. It doesn't say we count them happy, which enjoy, but those which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is what? Very pitiful and of what? Tender mercy. But what kind of pity did Job find before other people? Not much. Look in Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. We know the end of the story, and because we know the end of the story, we are not even paying attention to what Job is suffering. We don't even pay attention. We're just like... We're just like the hospital workers. People are rushing in with problems and, yeah, I'll get to you in a half hour, 45 minutes. We're, we're, just, we're just like that. Job 2 and verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with what? Sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. There was no place that Job could stand or sit or lay uh, that did not have sore boils on his flesh. And he took him a pot sure to scrape himself with it, and he sat down among what? The ashes. That was the softest thing he could find was ashes in which to lay. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? And what she tell him? Curse God. Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job where did he find pity? Did he find pity from his wife? It doesn't sound like too much there. Um, she said there in verse 9, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? Well, you can understand why she was bitter, humanly speaking. They had lost their ten children, seven boys and three girls. And one day... In one tragic event, you can understand why in the flesh she was bitter. And then on top of that, now her husband is very, very sick. Um, so you can understand, humanly speaking, her, her bitterness. It, not, it was not justified, but you can understand. She didn't know what was going on, just like in our trials. That's, that's the problem with us. We don't know how the end of our trials are going to go. Now, we know someday, we've been talking about paradise, we know someday we're going to be with the Lord in paradise. 
But we don't know what lies between us and that. Uh, we could have to suffer uh, greatly between now and then. None of us know. In any trial we enter, we do not know exactly what is going to be the end. We can read in Hebrews chapter 11, God delivered some people through great trials, and other people died in their trials. They'll be greatly rewarded, but nonetheless they died, and we don't, we don't know the end. So he's, he's very sick. And uh, so his wife is, is no comfort. Is, is no one to pity him at this point. Maybe she was mad at Job. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. You know, they had lost all their children in a day, not just their children, but their wealth, all of his cattle and his camels, um, his donkeys, everything, everything was lost. Only one servant came back from all those things, saying that he alone was saved. All of his children died in that wind. The house collapsed. Only one servant came back to tell him. If there were any other servants there, they perished too. So his, his wife is facing the loss of all her children in one day, the loss of all their wealth, and then in the next round, she loses her husband's wealth, health, and it seems like he's going to die. Now, the Bible does not say she was sick, just Job. Just Job was smitten with boils. So she could have easily thought, and I'm only thinking now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but she could have easily thought, you know, we lost all of our children in one day. We lost all of our wealth in one day. And now my husband is sick. I wonder what the Lord is trying to teach him. I'm not sick. I wonder if it was his fault we lost all of our children. I wonder if it was his fault we lost all of our wealth. After all, he's the one that's sick now. Maybe he has some secret sin in his life. Maybe he's the cause of all this. I don't know what was going through um, her mind at that point. We don't even know her name. The Bible never tells us Job's wife's name. God had highly commended Job. And you know, you know, her husband seemed like Mr. Perfect. Look at verse chapter one, verse one. Maybe because in God's eyes that's what God said. Now we know he was not sinless, but indeed he was a very godly man. Job one one. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was what? Perfect and upright, and one that what? Feared God and eschewed evil. Now, if you had ever was around Job and, and just maybe even in jest and maybe serious about even suggesting that you do something wrong, what do you think Job would say? Well, you'd probably get rebuked. Or at the, at the least, you'd probably just have a serious Job saying, no, we're not going to do that. That's wrong. Um, so can you imagine living around someone um, that is Mr. Perfect? And you and I, being sinners, are not Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. And so but 
You know, sometimes people wonder why Jesus' brothers in John chapter 7 were not saved until after his resurrection. Can you imagine living with a perfect brother or sister when we are very imperfect? Um, the flesh, in, the, in that situation, the flesh would tend to what? The flesh would tend to sin even more because the flesh would consider uh, that sibling, and if, if you weren't careful, it would kind of grind you the wrong way because we make mistakes. And if, and if you're dealing with someone that doesn't make mistakes, the, the flesh would not like that. Well, Job is, is Mr. Perfect. Um, I have no idea how he and his wife got along. I have no idea, and I'm not trying to insinuate they didn't. I just, I just know that she had some very harsh advice here. You know, if you want your husband to get well, would you tell him to curse God and die? I mean, imagine that, ladies. Your husband is very sick, and you make the statement to him, Honey, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, how would you feel? Oh, so you want me dead? You don't want me around? Do I have that much of a life insurance policy, or is my bank account that big that you don't really need me anymore? I mean, that isn't too pitiful of advice, is it? No. It isn't. And the fact is, is that Job's counsel was always followed. Whatever he said, people did. Notice in Job 29, Job seemed to always have the last word. Do you know anyone like that? That always has to have the last word. In any conversation, in any discussion, in any debate, that always has to have the last word. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, if you're on the job, uh, the boss does have the last word. He's the one in authority. So, sorry, that's the way it is. Uh, our parents, when we're the children, our parents do have the last word, and we should not try to have the last word. So I'm not talking about those things. But Job 29:21. Job 29:21. Job is thinking back, and he said, Unto me men, what? Gave ear. Gave ear and waited and kept what? Silence, Silence at what? My counsel. My counsel. He had the last words. After my words, they what? They spake not again, and my speech dropped upon them, and they waited for me as the, for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not, and the light of my countenance they cast not down. I what? I chose out their way and sat what? Chief and dwelled as what? The king in the army is, is one that comforteth the mourners. This guy had the last word. This guy, when he spoke, people were silent. When he gave counsel, no one said, but this would be better. No one did that with Job. Um, he was, as it says, like a king. He was revered. 
he was followed, you know, that may have been frustrating for Job's wife at times. I'm only guessing now, doesn't say. But on the other hand, she also would have enjoyed great honor by being married to Mr. Perfect. It was her husband that people listened to. It was her husband that people didn't argue with his counsel. They followed it. So because of that, she would enjoy great honor and revered because they honored her husband. But when all of that came crashing down, the loss of all ten children in one day, the loss of all their wealth in one day, the loss of his health in another round of satanic opposition, this time, Mr. Perfect did not have an answer. He didn't. Suddenly, all of their honor was gone. Um, you look in verse, chapter 29 and verse 1. Chapter 29, verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his par parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and what? Hid themselves. And the aged, what? Arose and stood up. The Bible talks about standing up before the hoary head, but in his case, his, uh, I can't think of the word, those who were older than him, his seniors, when he walked, they stood up for Job out of respect. The princes, what? Refrain talking. And lay their hand on their mouth. The nobles, what? Held their peace. And their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it, what? Blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. And, and on it goes. All of that was gone suddenly. Now Job did not have an answer. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. Job 30, verse 1. But now they that are what? Younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. Now, now these young people, it used to be that young and old would rise for Job and hold their mouths. They wouldn't speak. But now the young have him in derision. They mock him. Look in verse 9. Job 30, verse 9. And now am I what? Their song. Their song. Yea, I am their byword. They what? Abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to what? Spit in his face. Do you see all that's been lost? And her, her, her wife, his wife, has to face all this. Her, her honorable husband that no one used to dare 
give a second word once he had spoken. Her husband that everyone, no matter what age, would stand up and honor when he came. Now, even the young people are spitting at him. Uh, Verse 11, because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the what? The bridle before me. Where do you put a bridle? In what? In the mouth. The horse's mouth. Now they let loose. These young people let loose the bridle. Now they were talking. The ones who used to hold their mouths are now talking against Job. Verse 12. Upon my right hand rise who? The youth. They push away my feet. And they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. Here's Job laying in the ashes. Children playing and running. You know, he's laying out, stretched out there, and they're, they're pushing his feet out of the way. No respect at all. No pity. So Job's wife experiences all this. And now we know that the reason all this was coming upon them was not some secret sin of Job. It was not any sin of his 